Mark 6, verse 30. <coughs> the disciples have just been sent out on a missions trip. Anybody? How many of y'all have like been on a, a missions trip? A short-term kind of missions trip? Okay. So maybe 30%, 40 Um when you come back from a missions trip, you're exhausted, right? I mean, I guess depending on where you went. If you went on a missions trip to Hawaii, maybe not. But, um, but, Henber. I remember what? It'd be sunburn. Sunburn. Yeah, it exhausts you. Um, I've been on a couple kind of short-term trips. I went on one to India, and man, like I was not ready for India, and India kicked my butt, and. Um, not only is it like there, obviously there's a ton of travel to get to India, but then you're eating food that's unfamiliar to you, so you may, you're kind of your stomach's always kind of questioning what's going on. My stomach still questions Indian food because of that thing. Uh, this was ten years ago, twelve years ago. Um, you're sleeping in places and not your bed. You're you're on these long trains and then you're busy all if it's a true mission strip and you're not just like hanging out relaxing and you're like you have stuff going on all day and we did these VBSs and we were painting things and we were teaching and all sorts of things exhausted and we come home and I mean it takes it takes some time to recover from a trip like that uh, maybe you haven't been on a mission trip uh, uh, but maybe you can just think of a time that you've been exhausted Whatever the um, whatever work you had to do, physically exhausted, mentally, emotionally exhausted, spiritually exhausted, just kind of picture that time. The apostles, um, I'd imagine, as we get to verse thirty here in Mark six, are at an, a time of exhaustion, or they're like finally needing a chance to just kind of chill out and relax. I don't know how long the the um, as Jesus sends them out two by two at the beginning of chapter six, I don't know how long that that journey takes for them to kind of go through the different cities and towns, but um, but that's where we pick up the story um, in verse thirty. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught, and he said to them, "Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while." For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Okay? Um, probably their trips were two weeks, three weeks, months more likely that they were gone, not sleeping in their beds. Remember, it's not like you take a train to get around Galilee, but you're just walking everywhere that you go to the different cities. And then remember, some cities that you get to, you're going to get there, and they're going to be like, oh, by the way, you can't stay here. We don't really want you here. And so then you have to like go off into the wilderness and find a rock to sleep on for the night. <laughs> and so finally they're back home after their missions trip, we'll call it, and presumably they're in Capernaum where some of them lived. And they're telling about Jesus, telling Jesus about their adventures, and we see that they've apparently become popular. They've healed a lot of people, and they've cast out a lot of demons. And so popular that they didn't even have time to eat, it says. So these guys are exhausted, and Jesus suggests, hey, you guys need rest. Let's get away. Like, the, all that they want to do is get away and be by themselves. It says, Mark says, Jesus tells them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. And then verse 32, again, they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. They just want, like, people, we don't need more people. I don't know if you've felt that before, but they just want to be by themselves. And then verse 33, <coughs> they're riding along the boat. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, Jesus, he saw a great crowd. Now you can imagine, like, everywhere these guys are going, they're running into a bunch of people who are in wonder at what they're up to and what they can do and they're pulling up on the shore like if I'm the disciples and you're pulling up and you see these people who saw you leave from Capernaum or whatever and they, they're literally on foot running like following your boat in the distance where are they going to go, where are they going to go and they're running to the next town 
to meet up with you there, or they see you sailing that direction, they're running to get there. Like, as you're pulling into shore, what do you think of, okay, no, 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 not this place, we'll go to another place. We want to be by ourselves, that's not the point of us coming to this place out in the wilderness or a desolate place. But Jesus, the Energizer Bunny, says, <laughs> and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. So, like you think about it, the disciples, exhausted from their missions trip, can't do any of time to eat. They're looking for this place to get away, have a little retreat with Jesus and just a few of them that can kind of debrief and just, you know, just catch up on their sleep and whatever. And then they get to this place that has a bunch of people there and they're waiting for Jesus, who's very compassionate to as he teaches the people seemingly for a long time. I imagine the disciples, maybe they've heard some of these stories before, some of what Jesus is teaching, and they're just like, you know, doing the thing where they're trying to listen, but they're just kind of falling asleep while this is happening. They just need to get a little bit of rest. Finally, it's like late at night, right? Or, or, or it's, it's starting to become evening, and the disciples make a practical observation. Nobody has eaten here all day long, Jesus, and we're a good distance outside of town with no food, so... People need to start heading home, right? Jesus, like, maybe now is our, our chance to be alone. Like, we've, we've literally said, you've said everything that you need to say, you've done what you need to do, you've exercised compassion, great. Send them away to go to the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat, right? Like, I hope everybody enjoyed the show, but Jesus is done for the night. Go home. Catch him again in his next tour of Galilee and um, go home. Verse 37, but he answered the disciples, you give them something to eat. So the disciples didn't even have a leisure to eat, it says, but Jesus wants them now to feed others. Now, now it's time for a service project. Let's feed a bunch, a huge crowd of people. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And I think it's, it's probably like a sarcastic kind of question. Like 200 denarii is like um, most of a year's salary, which we know the disciples didn't have because they, I mean, unless they just made it rich when they were out and about on the towns, but they started with zero on their missions trip, so I don't think they have this money, and I, I think it's Philip that says, what do you want us to do? Just round up 200 bucks, pull it out of our butt, and then buy these people a bunch of food to eat? And they're, I think, kind of sarcastic in that, um, probably hangry, right? They're just like, Let's, what are you talking about? And verse 38, he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. I like that detail that Mark remembers the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties, and taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said, A blessing. Now, if this was a traditional kind of Jewish prayer, it would have sounded something like this. I'll say it in English. Uh -huh. <laughs> you thought I was going to start quoting some yeah. Yeah. Um, Something like this. Praise unto thee, O Lord, our God, King of the world, who makes bread to come forth from the earth. That would be a kind of traditional Jewish prayer. Like manna, maybe they would remember back to from their ancestors. Jesus says this blessing, and it says, And he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand 
men. <coughs> I love um, that Mark, uh, this is like a, a finale of, of bigness here at the end, all of these kind of absolute terms he's using. He takes, he divides the two fish among them all. They all ate and they were not just, oh, they had a good snack, but they were satisfied. They took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of fish. So in contrast to the disciples' kind of cynicism, and what are we supposed to do? Jesus provides way more than they could expect and even more than they even needed. <coughs> Part of the, I guess, the Jewish attire of the day is you carry this little wicker basket with you and maybe you keep your lunch in it for the day and you keep some odds and ends in that. Probably those are the 12 baskets that Jesus fills with the leftovers at the end. Kind of hilarious of Jesus, like... By the way, just so you don't forget what happened, you were wondering how are we going to feed all these people. Here's your lunch for tomorrow and the next day. You can bring it with you. <laughs> and I think there's some kind of cleverness in the way that Mark is telling this. He says at the beginning there's a great crowd. <clears throat> a great crowd with maybe several hundred people. But he holds off to the very end to say, and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Like, can you picture just 5,000 people? And it, and it wasn't just 5,000 people, it was 5,000 men, right? And which meant with women and children, maybe there's 10,000 or 15 or 20,000 people there that they're feeding with the loaves and with the fish. <clears throat> A typical town in the day had one or 3,000 people, maybe. And so this is like multiple towns worth of people Jesus is feeding. It's because this is a common kind of maybe Sunday school story that we hear, I, sometimes we miss the bigness of this miracle just because it kind of fits with all the other miracles. But this is actually supposed to stand out, I believe, in Mark. That's like the biggest miracle yet. Like this is, this is way bigger than he healed one person there and he cast out one demon over here and he raised this one girl to life. This is the biggest display of Jesus' power yet in the book. So, um, five loaves, which are probably like large rolls as we would think of them, two fish, probably small like dried fish that you kind of put in the roll to eat as a little sandwich. It's the amount of food that they actually got from a little boy that a boy was carrying in his basket to find out from another gospel into a full, satisfying meal for, say, 15,000 people with 12 baskets worth to spare. Okay? What do you think Jesus is saying to his disciples? Give me a sentence of, here's what Jesus is telling them as he performs this. I got this. I got this. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of the um, miracles are to show the character of God, mm. and so that He's our provider and He cares for His sheep and never lets us go without. That's cool. Yeah. Certainly, we as we read this story, we read that Jesus had compassion on the crowd and that sort of thing. We see, man, this is a compassionate God who doesn't just say, okay, I'm done for the day. You guys figure out your own dinner. Yeah. <coughs> just the, the idea of, like, I think, I guess Eric did sum it up and I got this. But, like, <laughs> Jesus isn't outsourcing that, like, his, himself. Like, he's not pointing you in the direction of other things. Like, he's, he is the source of what mm. you need. It's mm -hmm. mm -hmm. cool. Yeah. I think of like abundance. It's very clear, I guess, and that ties together with kind of what Apelia was saying with, in terms of like the character. It's like yeah. you think of God, you don't think of, and that relates to everything else about his character. Like there's not, there's never like you're never going to run out. Mm. And that, you could translate that to the other attributes like grace and what have you. There's just there's always an overabundance yeah. of him. Yeah, he has an endless supply of whatever he wants to, to give. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, 
And it was selfless. Like he just is so sacrificial because all he wanted to do is be alone. Yeah, Jesus is, he's tired too. Yeah, it's not to say disciples, you need some rest, but I imagine, uh, like Jesus gets tired too. Um, I, I think it's when he sits down uh, at, with the woman at the well, it says that he, he was wearied from his journey. Like Jesus feels the tiredness that, that we feel as well. And, um, but he, he it's compassionate enough to say, okay, put, I'm going to put my needs aside. Yeah. I think it also shows, like, he's been doing all these really huge miracles, but this is, like, an everyday practical need that people have. And so he wants to show people, like, I want to save you. I want to forgive your sins. Like, I can do all these amazing things, but, like, I can also be there for you in everyday needs yeah. that you see, you know? Yep. I can make your dinner. Yeah. Something that easy or that regular. You gotta wonder if people were thinking like, it kind of goes back to the whole like second exodus thing with Jesus kind of being like this freaking Moses, where it's like, all right, we're out here in the wilderness in this desolate place, Jesus, what are we gonna do? And it, you gotta wonder if they were thinking like, like are we back in like Sinai? Like what's the deal here, you know? Yeah, yeah, huge mass of people out there. Yeah. <clears throat> I guess the other thing I was thinking too is like the apostles came back and they told Jesus all that they had done and taught. They've been doing so much. They did a lot. And so Jesus' question is almost or like demand of like you you give them something to eat. It's almost like kind of calling out their inability to be God. No matter like Mm. what they did and whatever they did. I don't know, it's just like, it's a really cool contrast. I just like the way he's just like, you do it, they can't. Yeah, yeah, so that's good. Jesus is showing, he's even showing something about himself. He is, he's creating bread, like he's multiplying bread. He's creating something out of nothing. That's, um, what is it, ex nihilo. Like he's, he's doing something that only God can do, like, He's breaking the, what is it, the law of the conservation of mass or whatever, helping out physics people. Like, you, you can't actually take five loaves and make them into enough food to feed 15, 20,000 people, right? So he's, I, I think in that, one thing that, that at least the disciples or those who, who see him doing this are, are learning is, or should be learning, is that Jesus is, he's, he's doing God-like things. And he provides and he creates and... Um, I'm like trying to think through like what are the other times that Jesus creates something out of nothing and it's like well the big bang when God creates the world and then um, then the manna falling from heaven but it's like this is this is what only God can do we've seen Jesus do a lot of other miracles we've seen him heal people's diseases from leprosy and paralysis and a, a deformity and all sorts of different things he's been able to kind of heal and adjust and, and kind of work with the matter in this world and we've seen he has authority over kind of the spiritual world as he's able to tell demons to leave people. He's even been able to command nature, right? The, the wind to stop in the storm in chapter 4 I think it is. He's raised somebody from the dead but this like this miracle in, in some ways is different than the rest in that he is creating something that didn't exist before. The only other um, miracle that all four Gospels mention, do you know what it is? The resurrection. The resurrection, yeah. So most of the, a lot of the miracles you see in two or three, like this is in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all mention this miracle. This is like a highlight miracle that says something very unique and very big about who Jesus is. And I think one way to maybe sum up what a few of you said, like I got this kind of idea, is that Jesus has a billion options at his disposal to take care of any circumstance. Like he can do 
whatever he wants to do. He can adjust the natural world, he can do things supernaturally, but he can do whatever he wants. He, he's not racking his brain, how am I gonna feed these people? He could have made food from the rocks if he wanted to. He could have made food fall from the sky if he wanted to. He could have made it out of the bread that he had like he did. He could have spoke and the food just appeared. Like Jesus isn't wondering how am I gonna do this? He has a billion different options. He's God, he can do whatever he wants and he can provide however much he wants to provide. I remember learning kind of a lesson like that a while back when I was looking for a new job. Um, I was working for a church, and I had decided at some point that I was um, that God was was leading me, was leading Mary Beth and I to move on from this one, this particular church and our ministry there. And I was in a, a bit of a um, dilemma because. I wanted, it was a big church, so it was kind of, you know, you have this kind of corporate structure in the church, and I, I felt like I should tell my boss, um, who was the senior pastor, I felt like I should tell him, you know what, I'm, I'm looking at other churches, I, I'm looking for another job, maybe, uh, moving away, and, and I'm looking for other jobs, because, hey, this is ministry, I don't want to, like, surprise it and say, hey, I'm giving you a two-week notice, I'm out of here, like, that's not what you do if you work at a church, right? But... But maybe you do, because, you know, I don't want them to say, well, okay, Jared, you're not going to stick around here, so you can just pack up your things and leave today. And I kind of have that feeling maybe that some of you all have, you're thinking about how do I leave this job, looking for another job. I finally decided, I think, to do the right thing. I told my boss, I said, hey, I don't have another job lined up yet, but I, here are the different reasons why I'm thinking about, you know, moving on, and I just want to, I want you to know so it doesn't come as a surprise. But I wrestled through that. We wrestled through that. Like, did we say something? And the next, I think that was on a Friday, if I remember right. I, what I do remember clearly is shortly after that, on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday next week, I had four job offers from four different churches. Now, they weren't all quite job offers. One was an actual job offer of a church I'd already been talking to. One was actually the starting of some emails with Cornerstone Church, the church that I eventually worked at. Another was a church that we had a best friend out that randomly just emailed me on Wednesday and said, hey, you know, I, if you're looking around, then have you considered our church? And another was a random friend in Chicago who was like, hey, our church is actually looking for, like, literally... Four different opportunities. If I just had the little bit of faith to say, ah, God, maybe, maybe you can provide. I don't know. I don't want to be out of work, but maybe you can do something. And God, not that he gave me all four jobs, obviously, but he showed me I have limitless options. Okay? Like, you don't need to be concerned, like, I'm going to be racking my brain. How am I going to line up to provide for Jared? And one of those jobs um, actually worked out. But the, the lesson, like, it, it's as if God was, was putting before me, do you know who I am? And instead of just providing enough for us, it was like he was filling 12 extra baskets full of food, saying, here, I can do this, and I can do this, and then there's this, and then there's this, and have you thought about this? You didn't even know about this. God can do whatever he wants. He can create something out of nothing. And he's not out of options. He's never out of options. So I think the lesson of the loaves, one of the lessons they could have learned was that Jesus is able to do anything. Like he, he's not restricted at all. That's what they should have learned, but they didn't learn it. <laughs> Verse 45, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. Does anybody know why he, Jesus is kind of quick to make this happen from another gospel account? He's like, hey, get in the boat, go, I'm going to dismiss the crowd. The crowd was wanting to do something with Jesus. Make him king. They were wanting to, to take him away and to make him king because this was such a huge display of power. He was so compassionate, he was so good. They were thinking, we need to make this guy our king. And Jesus is like, no, now's not the time. And so he, he kind of quickly shuffles things around and just and then he escapes up to the mountain to pray. Verse 46, he'd taken, after he had taken leave of them, he went up to the mountain to pray, and when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, so 
between 3 and 6 a.m. in the morning. He came to them walking on the sea. This is a good, another great like Sunday school story right, that we all remember that grew up in church. He meant to pass by them, or a, a, maybe a better translation is he intended to pass their way. Um, verse 49, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and he said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded, verse 52, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Interesting. Mark is tying these stories together. I want you to remember... These guys are worn out. They were expecting to find rest from their missionary journeys. They're so popular they can't even eat. They go to this wilderness area. There's a bunch of people that have just ran there to meet them. They sit through a few more of Jesus' sermons. And then Jesus is like, service project time. We're going to feed 5,000 people, 10,000 people. And then finally things wrap up. It's late at night. They hop in the boat. But oh shoot, verse 48 says, the wind was now against them. And they're making headway painfully. So it's 4 a.m. in the morning. Think about how you feel at 4 a.m. And then um, at, at a very busy time in their life when they're very exhausted, this is like physical exhaustion to the max that they could be at. And then if it's not overwhelming enough to uh, be a few miles out at sea in a boat in the middle of the night, that, like that is terrifying to me, just thinking about no lights and except whatever your candlelight or whatever they had back then, like in the middle of the dark sea, like that's scary enough. But um, their arms are falling off because they're rowing so hard and then suddenly they see a person in the water walking around. And it says they thought it was a ghost, yeah, and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. These poor guys, like it says, they cried out. That's the only other time that that uh, this word is used is when when the demons when demons see Jesus and they, they cry out, ah! right? And this is twelve burly men screaming in fear at this ghost that has appeared on the water, like. These dudes are at their wit's end. Like, they have about had it. They're about to crack. And they scream. <coughs> What's the problem? Like, what, sh what should have happened when they saw Jesus? <laughs> they should have been relieved. Like, when they, when they see Jesus coming, they should be like, oh, cool, cool, it's Jesus. But instead, they didn't understand. If he's God, he can do anything. Okay, the miracle of the loaves wasn't just meant to be a magic trick to oh, look at the cool illusion that Jesus pulled off. It was meant to show that Jesus can do anything. And if Jesus is God and can break the law of the conservation of mass, if that's what it's called. He can also break the law of gravity, and they should not be surprised that he is coming to them on the water. And he says, take heart. It is I. Like, have, you, have you learned who I am yet? It is I. Do not be afraid. Don't you know who I am? Don't you understand what I can do? But they were scared, and they were tired, and they didn't understand the lesson of the loaves. They didn't understand yet that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the creator of the universe. He created the universe from nothing. He can do whatever he wants, even walk along on water. And his presence, when they see him, should have brought them calm, but instead it brings them fear And um, until he steps in the boat and the winds cease. <coughs> You would hope then that the disciple, it, 
the lesson would wrap up and be like, oh, cool, the disciples finally learned their lesson. They know who Jesus is. Finally, they're going to get to rest. Jesus doesn't have to show these things anymore. Uh, but then verse 53, when they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. <laughs> and when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds and wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplace and implored him that he might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. You might think that this would be the part of the story that Jesus provides a little relief and says, oh, they finally found that place that nobody was. Um, but this first thing in the morning after an extremely strenuous night and few months, more people recognizing Jesus, running around like crazy from all the neighboring cities, bringing all the sick wherever they heard he was. And Jesus just keeps working and keeps healing Missions trip, so much popularity that you don't even have time to eat. There's so many people around you all the time. More people when you try to get to the quiet place. More work to be done with feeding a bunch of people. It's late <coughs> at night. The wind is now against them. Finally get to another place. More people. Tired, 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 exhausted. You guys, like, have you ever felt, I don't know, maybe not to that extreme, maybe to that extreme, but have you ever felt like, man, things just do not let up? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm, there's always something to be done. And, and not just, like, something in my own life, but there's always something around me. Like, there's always somebody to serve. There's always somebody to help. There's always more people in need, and it is overwhelming to me. And I'm just tired. I think, man, I need a little alone time. I need some time to myself. I always kind of feel like there's, I always wonder, is, is there going to be a time when, when everything in my life at, at, one, at one point, like everything is going to be good and, and everything around me, everybody's going to be good and like there's going to be just this moment of, of an hour or a day or two where it's like there's, there's nothing that, that needs to be worried about, there's nothing that I can be anxious about, but it's all, it's all good, just, just at one time. Will that ever happen in my life? Sometimes I think to myself. But usually, even in, even in times of rest, when I'm having a Sabbath or on my vacation, there's, there's something still there always. There's always something big that's happening that, that doesn't kind of keep us from maybe fully experiencing the rest that we want. And we think, like, why is God sending me out into these constant storms and this constant exhaustion? I, uh, one of those times in my life was when I was worried uh, that this house was going to be sold. Uh, this was a year, maybe a little over a year ago. Um, as you guys know, this house is kind of a hub of the ministry of our church. And uh, we were informed by our landlord, hey, they're going to sell this place. And we were like throwing our hands in the air. What are we going to do? Um, and so we emailed uh, and talked to a number of people and we're like, what? like, here's what you can pray for. You can pray either, number one, that this place doesn't sell, which would be a miracle because there's investors like just salivating for these properties on this street that are ready to just tear it down and build enormous mm -hmm. apartments. So, but pray that maybe there would be a miracle and that would happen. Or pray... Secondly, that maybe we could have a friend who has some cash who could buy this $2 million property and, and leave it as it is so that we can continue going about our ministry the way that we have. Um, doesn't seem likely, but maybe somebody's got two mil just sitting around. Or, third option, maybe, God, you could just provide us 
I can't imagine this, but maybe you can provide us with a place that is just as good or even better than what we have here in this house. There's not a lot of larger places like this in North Hollywood, a big room like this, right? Pray for these things. Pray for these. And um, I should have written it down, but probably within, I know within a month, uh, here's what happened. Some of you know the story. First, we had a friend offer to buy the place for $2 million. Um, secondly, we had uh, uh, we found a property down actually a couple blocks, and we were walking in front of that property, and the owners happened to be out front, and we said, are, is there any chance you guys are looking to rent this place? It looks like a big place. And they said, they paused for a minute, and then, like, God worked the chemicals in their brain, and they said, well, maybe, yeah. Yeah, we, we want to rent this place. And they <laughs> let us in the house to look around. They weren't planning on, like, they hadn't showed it. And and so then we start talking to them. Okay, what would that look like? And they're like, well, a couple months out there. And you know what happened? Uh, the offer for $2 million wasn't received for the house, um, for this house. Um, the, that family is still living there, and they're, I think, just going to hold on to it for now. So that didn't work out either. Um, but miraculously, um, our landlords decided, oh, we're just not going to sell the place. So the, the, the thing that was, uh, in my mind, it was most unlikely, or, or, or most likely to, to not happen, that the, the owners would just decide, oh, no, we aren't going to sell the place. That happened. Well, once again, what had happened was, even though it doesn't matter that all the options didn't work out, it didn't matter that I wasn't going to take all four of those jobs ten years ago, but what God was showing me again was, I am not out of options. I can do anything that I want to. I can provide what, it, like, you think you're, you're worried, you don't know how, how you're going to continue on ministry, how will, you, how will I find enough money in this world to buy the place, or how, you know... God wasn't breathing anxiously and heavily like I was. God was showing me something in that process and showing Mary Beth and I something in that process that he had to bring us to that point. He had to set that storm before us. Why? Because we didn't learn the lesson the first time that God can do whatever he wants and we don't need to stress out about it. We didn't learn our lesson of the loaves that, oh my gosh, God can create something from nothing. He's going to provide whatever we need to accomplish his ministry and he had to do it again and I'm sure there's going to be a season in the future when we're freaking out about something what are we going to do and hopefully we'll have a little bit more faith this time we'll be a little bit much more mature but then um, he's going to have to do something to shake us up to realize no you can you can trust in God God's got this under control Jesus is saying it's me remember God you don't need to be afraid like he tells them on the, on, the, on the ocean or on the sea, it is I. You understand who I am? Some, some people think that that's a reference. That's like a reference to God's name in the Old Testament. I am. It is, it is I, he says. So why does God throw us into these tests? I think like God knew he was throwing them into the, the stormy sea both times, I think. God knew that there was going to be people on the land. Jesus knew that there was going to be people on the land when they showed up there. And why does he throw us into these tests that we might know better who he is, that we might not have hardened hearts, but that we would understand he's God. Oh yeah, he can do anything. Now, hopefully I know God in some ways a little bit better than you because of what I've been through. And you know God in some ways a little bit better than me because of what I've been through. I, or because of what you've been through. Maybe next time I'm not going to freak out so much when I find myself potentially out of work. Maybe I'm not going to freak out so much next time when I find that we're looking for a place to live. We don't know what that's going to look like. Well, okay, just remember these lessons that we've learned. Maybe God knows that we will not truly rest until we understand who He is. Maybe our ability to rest isn't going to come in this life from a change of circumstances, but a change in our understanding of the power of God and our knowledge of Jesus. 
Maybe our best and fullest rest will not come because we've figured out how to produce it and we had enough options, but because of, based on who Jesus is, who can do anything and is the God of a billion options. Maybe there's rest in the midst of our exhaustion if we will know Jesus. And through one exhausting circumstance after another, when I'm at my end, I learn from Jesus. It is I. I've got this. Just, just watch. I've got this. <clears throat> I could go through um, all of you that I know well enough, I think, and probably uh, say why many of you are exhausted right now in many different ways. I know that that is, um, Keely, I know that you're exhausted. And um, Arkady, I know that you're exhausted. And Austin, I know in some ways you're exhausted. Like, I know that personally, that like, I know you are there, and I know that I have been there. And if you aren't there right now, I know that you either have been before or that you will be in the future. And some of you could probably point to all the things that you've said and done, right? Like the disciples kind of like, I've served all these people. I've done everything that Jesus said. I met this person's need. I um, gave of myself sacrificially. I actually shared the gospel with people, but I'm exhausted. And like the apostles, you tell Jesus, look at all that I've said and done. Like, isn't it my time? Don't I deserve to rest now? Like, aren't you going to give me the rest that I need for all that I've done? And you keep thinking it's time for rest, but the rest doesn't come. And you show up and there's more people. And another service project, and there's another need to meet, and there's more wind in your face, and you're like, does this ever stop? Mm-hmm. Oh, do you ever get to the point where it's like um, with, with people, like, hey, I've done a lot, I've done what Jesus asked, I can't do anything about this person's situation, so I'm out. Like, they can just fig- kind of figure it out on their own, right? Um, like the people say in this in the in uh, the desolate place, send them away. Let them get their own food to eat. I'm tapped out. And uh, man, that's the that's the Western Church kind of idea of, of service projects. A lot of times it's like, well, we did this service project last month, and we're going to do another one next month, and so we're done, right? The rest of the time is for me. I can recoup and I can enjoy and I can do the things that I want to because I did the one. I served in children's ministry every other week this month. I'm good. I'm done, right? There's no more needs that are going to come after me late at night after that. Like I, I don't want to have to go above and beyond, and we run out of compassion for people, and we run out of energy and power to do things, and we feel tapped. And I notice Jesus, again, Jesus got tired. I think he, he physically, anyway, probably was more tired than anybody else in the story. But read Jesus' heart. Somebody read Mark 6. 34. This is when they're first trying to get away. Mark 6, 34. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Sheep without a shepherd. This is, this is how Jesus exhausted Jesus, I imagine, looks at people. That's not how I look at people a lot of times when I'm exhausted. Jesus does never do things out of cold obligation. Well, I guess I'm supposed to heal them, so I guess I'll just go ahead and heal them. But he's moved with compassion. He's full of goodness and mercy, and he sees people in their desperation. And it's interesting, when the disciples return from their their missionary journey, they say, here's all that we did and all that we said. And you wonder, what did they think to themselves, Jesus, here are all the hurting people that we saw and how many sheep were without a shepherd out there. No, they're they're like, "Look, look at everything that we did. And they think about themselves and they're like, Okay, now we're at a place that we're supposed to rest, and it's okay. I've already done my projects. I've already done everything that Jesus commanded me to do. Just send these these projects away. And meanwhile, Jesus is looking at these people, and he sees a bunch of sheep 
without a shepherd running around helplessly, hungry, sick, in danger, to think of sheep without a shepherd, and these people running around, scrambling about from city to city, trying to catch up with Jesus, like they're frantic. And Jesus thinks, he sees them, and he wants to help them, because he's looking at them. He's not thinking about, oh my gosh, all that I have, look at all that I've done, and I'm just need some rest for myself. Jesus didn't focus on all that he had done and said and think, well, that's about enough. He kept his eyes on the sheep and he let himself be moved with compassion towards them. It's not the only helpless and frantic people in the story. Uh, Remember the disciples or the apostles on the water are also a little frantic. They too are kind of like sheep, just freaking out, frantic. And Jesus also has compassion on them. I wonder, should we see people the same way? Like one sheep to another? Can we have compassion on people the same way? People who are hungry, people who are helpless. Just like Jesus has had compassion on us, and he gives us these little bits of mercy and these grace and these large bits of mercy and grace. We know what it's like to feel helpless. We know what it's like to have the wind in our face. We know what it's like we're not to turn. And I wonder if we could turn those people towards this voice that calms a flock. So, I've got more notes, but I think I want to cut it off. Our ability to meet needs is not unlimited, right? Like, we do tap out. We're humans, and we're, we're not Jesus. And I could have all the compassion in the world for people. That might not be enough. Like, I'm still going to run out. (coughs) To whom should we turn, not only look for compassion, but when we feel like we have limited options or capacities? Remember how exhausted, the exhausted disciples, they're presented with this problem, a bunch of hungry people. And maybe they felt compassion on the crowd like Jesus did. doesn't seem like they did, but let's suppose that they did. They certainly don't have the resources to make it happen. They were powerless until Jesus shows them, hey guys, I've got a billion options. Watch this, five loaves, two fish. Voila. Okay, here, now, like, you, the things that you don't think are impossible or are possible for you right now, I am making possible. God can do anything that he wants. He doesn't even have to use the natural like course of things and laws of this world. He can do anything that he wants. Don't take your eyes off of Jesus. Understand who Jesus is. Learn from Jesus and his compassion for people. Don't look to yourself, all that I've done and I just deserve a rest. No, look to the people, look to the sheep. And then when you're still overwhelmed and you don't have any more capacity to put out, well, don't look to yourself. Well, this is what I'm able to do and these are my options. And Look to Jesus. Look to the shepherd who has all power and who has a billion different options that he can use you in whatever your circumstance. It says in Mark 6.50, they all saw him and they were terrified, but immediately he spoke to them and he said, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. When you feel like you're at your wit's end, some of you right now, when you have nothing left to give, when you're out of options, and Jesus then would come and say to you, hey, like, do you know who I am? It's me. I'm God. Don't you know that I'm able to do whatever I want to do? Don't be afraid. So don't focus on your ability to help people. Don't focus on your ability to just do another one of your things, but look at the sheep. Look at the shepherd. I love um, Psalm 23, a very familiar uh psalm because of funerals. Uh, Oftentimes this is read at a memorial service or something like that. Um, You know, perfect rest will come, right? And a lot of times we read the the Lord is my shepherd song and we think about oh, this is like there is a time when that the rest that this person hopefully now is experiencing who's passed on is going to be, is going to experience. Um, but I love how there's there's two things going on here at once. Um, I'll just read this. It's just eight verses, this song. The Lord 
is my shepherd. <laughs> this relates really closely to both of these stories. The Lord is my shepherd. Okay, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Sounds peaceful. Verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy, compassion, you could say, shall follow me all the days of my life, and then, future, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever, where there will be perfect rest, better than we can imagine. You see the, the contrast, the, even while the we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, even in whatever kind of exhaustion we can imagine, Jesus is saying, I am with you. I comfort you. You will not be in need. You can sit down in green pastures and I will feed you. And I will make the waters beside you calm when they need to be calm. If you trust me as your shepherd. I don't know um, what to leave you with or what kind of stands out in all of that, but hopefully um, you can you can pull something in your exhaustion um, and go to Jesus as the one who is full of compassion. Jesus, we go to you as um, people who, as sheep who need your guidance and need your tender care. I pray, Lord, that we would get it through our thick, uh, finite, little hard-hearted skulls of who you are. And God, will you bring the trials into our life that will expose how little we think that you are able to do and, and blow our minds with what you are able to provide. And Lord, in the midst of the exhaustion, would you give us rest as we come to understand and know who you are? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.